You're listening to I Am Here. Today, I am joined by Nora Blake. Hello, Nora. Hi. And welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Well, thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump right in then, Nora. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm Nora, as we covered. (laughs) I use she, her pronouns. And uh, as it says on my bio on one of my websites somewhere, I am a queer trans woman who writes RPGs. That's really cool. And you wrote an RPG called Wizard Brunch, right? Yeah, that's the first one, the currently only one that I have that is like a cool PDF that you can like pay money for. <laughs> Everything else is just kind of text on my website. Yeah, I I have not had the chance to play Wizards Brunch yet, but I definitely like bought it and I'm really excited to try it out with my friends. I was chatting with a couple of them about it and it sounds like a lot of fun. So thank you so much. That's really, it's <laughs> really nice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I loved about it when I first looked at it was like your example characters immediately, you know, you provide pronouns of all kinds, not just he, him, she, her, you provide they, them, and beaver. And I think it's really important. And I, I loved that I saw that right at the beginning of your game was like immediately character examples provided that like accessibility where somebody reading it can say, oh, this is for me. I can see myself here. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. Seeing yourself in RPGs and writing RPGs and being involved in the community, why is representation so important to you personally? And how does it affect you? Um, I have uh, an answer in the form of an anecdote, which is always lovely. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little off from RPGs, but I think it applies to basically any any kind of inclusivity like this in, in pop culture, which is I am a huge Star Wars fan. And to the point that I don't have any living memory of not knowing what Star Wars is because I was too young when I first saw it to even remember not having seen it. <laughs> and so six months ago-ish, it was right when I was starting my transition, uh, I found a piece of Star Wars fan fiction that had a trans woman protagonist. And it struck me that there were no trans people in Star Wars. There is one non-binary character in a in a new, more recent book, but there are no trans women. And it just sort of like hit me that in the 40 years of fiction that, that had been created in this universe, this is the first one that like, oh, that's like a tall trans woman. Hey, that's me. <laughs> and I act, I like, I cried after having finished it because it was also just a really good fanfic but (laughs) and just that feeling of of knowing that the stories that you can tell are not just the sort of monomythic you know cis white dude stories it was really uh, impactful for me and the uh example you mentioned about providing example pronouns and character names and everything at the start of my rpg's 
that's what I like when I was starting to write RPGs, I realized I could just do that at the very beginning as like just a really easy thing as like an easy flag to say, Hey, I know that some people reading this aren't going to use he, him or she, her. And I want to make it clear right off the bat that this game is going to account for that and is going to encourage all sorts of characters. And it was just like an easy little thing I could do no matter what the game was to like encourage that. And so I've ever since then I've, I've added that detail to every game that I write. That's amazing. And I think that's really important because you don't see that, especially, especially in mainstream games. There's often, are you playing a man or a woman? And is your name a man's name or a woman's name? (laughs) There's no, there's no in between and there's nowhere to account for gender fluidity. And it is a problem, I think, in gaming is, is that lack of recognition and that lack of acknowledgement that gender is far more complex than the language we have to explain it. Yeah. And like the one uh, example that I have seen is the like two or three sentences in fifth edition D&D where they mention your character could be anything. Uh, for example, like that elf god, uh, Coralon Lorethian, who has been portrayed as both masculine and feminine. But it, like that's still pretty binary, even though that entity, since the earliest editions of D&D, has been sort of both masculine and feminine. It's still sort of using pretty binary language. And that's the only mention of like non-binary characters in fifth edition to my knowledge yeah um i can't say that i have read through every single sentence of Mm -hmm. books but i think you're right there's like that one or two sentences which a lot of people have brought up and initially a lot of people you know just through various medias that i was reading you know twitter and discord and uh reddit and etc uh where where people said, hey, it's that's so great that, you know, Wizards of the Coast is recognizing that that there is more than just she, her. And it was almost like this pat them on the back for, you know, saying there's more than she, her, him, he. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's kind of lame. That's like saying good job on not being a racist. You know, like, <laughs> it's kind of a silly pat on the back because it's not enough. Yeah. It's so minute and it still uses that binary language like like you're talking about. It's so ingrained in us, these binary terms and this binary language, that inherently my immediate thought as a, you know, cis woman was, why don't they switch it to feminine masculine? It just showed my my lack of education, my biases, where it, it's it's unconscious and yet how do we how do we strive to not have these things be unconscious in ourselves and in future generations and allow for that in the material that we write and the stories that we tell and and the language that we use because gender isn't binary inherently like gender is very fluid and our language is not yeah and it's 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 wild to me that we are as a culture so obsessed with with gender binaries considering like 
English doesn't gender words the way that other romantic languages do. Yes, exactly. So we added that ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Like I I grew up in French and went to French immersion, uh, and French is extremely binary. Like mm-hmm. words are masculine and feminine, and so it, it's a good point that like we impose that on our own culture of being so obsessed with assigning gender. And even in terminology that we use to describe people or ourselves, I grew up and was often referred to and often referred to myself as a tomboy because I was a girl who played hockey on a boys team and I didn't like to wear dresses. I didn't like to dress in feminine ways. I was like a jeans, t-shirt, hoodie, like play rough kind of person. And immediately that made everybody around me refer to me as a tomboy, which as a child, then you, I guess, uh, like absorb that and then begin describing yourself that way. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at that, I think like, why can't I still have just been a girl who liked to do those things? Why did I have to be referred to as a tomboy? Yeah, exactly. And so there's, there's like, there's so many things that are so ingrained in our culture that, uh, and in our language that feels like an upward battle to slowly like strip away and and slowly open up and rpgs is is a place that i feel especially with podcasting and game designing like you're doing is an avenue where you can do that and it's a lot easier than people make it out to be (laughs) yeah um certainly changing your language can be awkward at first because language is so innate to how we perceive the world like we think in language that's how important it is to us so when we make conscious efforts to change it like i have started trying to replace the word crazy in my own my own language finding other words that aren't they don't have a sensitive history as, as as things like crazy or insane do and it took a little while to even feel comfortable saying other words when my instinct was was to jump back to those but like within rpgs we have the the conceit is that we're all making stuff up all the time and so i think it's important that we are able to when we make fantasies what we're able to have in those fantasies is important and it says something about us as people. Certainly. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into gaming and how does your identity tie in with the kind of games that you play and why playing those games or how playing those games is affected by who you are and by the kinds of stories that you want to tell. So I got into games a few years ago, probably five and a half years ago or so. Um, because I just came, moved back to town and my old friend group had just started playing D and D and it was something that we had all kind of like been aware of on the fringes of our time on the internet as like, oh, that's a thing that might be cool to do someday, but nobody actually knows anything about it or has the drive to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I came back and they had just started, they were like six months into a a 3.5 campaign of D&D. So I came in and there was an off week. 
I didn't realize where this story was going until just now, but this is good. It's, it's good. Um, okay. We went, came in, I came in on, on an off week when they weren't playing D&D. They were playing a different game called Anima. Um, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a very complicated system. It, it was not a great, like, first RPG uh, game, <laughs> but they were all... I, I should say I was not out at the time. I didn't know, even know that really that I was trans at the time. And they were all playing anime characters based on just tropes. Uh, one person was playing the like loud, the loud, good-natured, dumb character, for example. And so there, I showed up without much warning, having just moved back into town. And they were like, "Well, I guess you can be the girl." <laughs> and so my first tabletop RPG character was Nora Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that name just kind of stuck with me for a few years, because uh, I think it's a pretty good name. <laughs> it is a good name. I love that name. That's really something. I love that story. So playing this character had that kind of an Im- impact on your choice of name when you did transition. Yeah. Or perhaps before you transition. Sorry, I shouldn't make assumptions. <laughs> Apologies. Oh, no worries. I came out just last year. Last year? Well, I guess it's 2018 now, so a little over a year ago. It was um, it was actually the week of the election back in November when I when I came out, and I had actually just finished playing a second character named Nora, <laughs> uh, a, a chiss spy in a Star Wars game named uh, Tez Norantala, which shortened to Nora based on how chiss names work. Because uh, that's the kind of Star Wars role player <laughs> I am. <laughs> I love that. And we have a rule about you can't play characters that are similar to your own name because it gets needlessly confusing. Uh, we had a, a player named Will who wanted to play a character named the Will Wolf, <laughs> and it wasn't happening. And so after I came out, my GM was like, hey, uh, maybe this was unintentional, but congrats on like finishing that story right before like that would have gotten confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I just, the name Nora did stick with me a lot. And for a good two or three years before I came out, I just started playing a lot of women in games started in when eventually we finished the 3.5 campaign we went up to 20 uh, i was 18 because i took a template because that's you know i'm, I'm i was on my bullshit at the time <laughs> i was just, i was literally a psychic ninja so a soul knife so um <laughs> jedi basically nice and we moved on to fourth edition and did a, another campaign there and i just started that one with a a gay man as my character. And then my next character in that campaign was a woman. And then most of my characters after that were just women. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of all the way through. And it didn't really like connect like why that was until I started uh, thinking about and questioning my own gender. And I looked back on the fact that I primarily played women in RPGs and was like, Oh, hmm, I guess that, makes sense (laughs) in this like fantasy realm of escapism i would always choose to be a cool lady with a sword (laughs) 
that's something really special. I think that you, you know, when looking back, you could see how gaming affected you, like how it provided you with that escapism and was a venue where you felt safe to be able to be a woman in game and in character. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, you're looking at it and saying like, that's, that's who I am. I, I am a woman. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also like at the same time, um, when I was playing video games, I was playing the, uh, like in something like a dark souls or a, um, or like a mass effect, I would play the default man and not touch the character creator at all. And I don't really know why that is, but I, I think the extra layer with role-playing games of embodying your character in minute details more than just your appearance on the screen and like dialogue and like hearing the voice, I think that is is like what I was actually looking for. And I didn't I, what I was looking for, I, I couldn't get from just being Jane Shepard instead of John Shepard or whatever. Right. But now I make sure to make all of my video game characters as cute as possible. <laughs> Playing characters in tabletop RPGs where you get to not just create your character in terms of, you know, statistics and description and everything, but you have so much more control over the character's choices and the character's personality and the character's embodiment to an extent that you don't get in video game RPGs. You don't you don't get that, and that's that's something that is freeing, I find, about RPGs is you can be perhaps what you wish you could be or you can be what you have never been before. Yeah. So I like to play characters who who are very different than myself in the way that they, they embody traits I wish I had or I wish I was better at because it almost gives me an avenue where I can practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really a beautiful thing that RPGs gave you this avenue where you could embody a character in a way that perhaps at the time you felt like you couldn't be in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing that, that that name stuck with you through all of those games that you played and through all these characters that you were able to be and took that name for yourself for who you are today. And that's a beautiful thing. I really, really love that. And and it's one of the many reasons why why RPGs are such an amazing, <laughs> amazing thing, despite our complaints about what they could do better. Yeah. And I think it is getting better. I think when you look at some of the things that are happening in away from the big names and the big, the shiny books, you can see some really amazing stuff like the two people who, who I, who I'm just gonna start gushing about these people now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Go for it. The two people who most inspire me for for tabletop stuff are two trans women, uh, Ash McAllen, who created, who has created a, a couple of different RPGs. Uh, my favorite so far is The Republic, which is sort of an Avatar element bending game that's also uh, explicitly about social justice and fighting against oppressive systems that sounds like an amazing game 
<laughs> it looks really fun. Uh, I haven't gotten to play it yet, but maybe someday. Uh, I'm hoping. I would play that with you because I love Avatar The Last <laughs> I'm on a Legend of Korra podcast right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, you are. Um, and she's also, I think, writing some, some kind of um, cyberpunk game that I haven't fully kept up with, but it looks really cool. Uh, the other person is uh, Amy Weston, who wrote uh, an RPG a while ago about transformation that was really interesting and really, like, tender, I guess, is the word I would I would use. Just, she also is my GM in a, a D&D game that I am in, and just talking to her occasionally about RPGs and, and like, design stuff has been really fun. Uh, but both of them are, like, my core inspirations for for making tabletop games and it's like i would love to to be as good at it as they are which <laughs> since it's since i'm my own worst critic i will i will, may may never uh believe but so how do they inspire you and and why why was it so important finding these these individuals in rpgs like how did that affect you seeing trans women designing games and playing games and and how did that influence you and it's another case of like just realizing that you can just you can just write a game and it can have baked into it the ideology that you want it to have i'm like currently writing a game that is about balancing my two desires of destroying and creating the world around me um, in regards to being my like anarchist beliefs. <laughs> um, and you can just do that. And being, seeing people who were like me, like trans women who were creating games with that little grain of perspective in mind of, of being trans in mind was sort of eye opening. And knowing that, Things don't have to be, like, removed from politics or removed from identity. Maybe I'm not making sense? I don't know. <laughs> I could never begin to claim an understanding of that perspective because I don't have it. Um, it's, it's something that I will never have because I am cisgender and will never be able to fully comprehend what it's like to not be cisgender. And so it's so important to me to hear these other perspectives and to hear your perspective because it opens my eyes to to the language that I'm using, to my blind spots, to to being open to hearing other experiences and recognizing that that there is there is infinitely more experiences than I will ever be able to relate with, but that doesn't mean that I can't be a part of, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, because there are things that I get to see consistently myself represented in that my friends don't. And that makes me sad. Yeah. I, I have a friend who, who explained it in the best way in which he said that Growing up, he he never got to see the 
the hero be anything other than a white man. And he is not a white man. And he's saying, you know, like, it's just something that he had come to accept and be like, well, I'll never... I'll never see myself. And so when Black Panther got announced and, you know, and we started seeing set photos and uh, and trailers, it, it was like this excitement. I had never um, seen him be so excited about a character mm-hmm. because he was like, I finally get to see me on the big screen. Yeah. And and that was really exciting for him. And I thought holy shit, like, I I get to see, you know, women are, are often not represented well in media um, because of the sexualization of women, but I still get to see white women represented everywhere. <laughs> uh, it's default. And white men are even more default. <laughs> yeah. And so when you get to see uh, not the default, it it was just like, it was so wonderful to see this excitement in my friend. And he was, he just told me like, that's, that's what he wants to see be the norm is that no matter who you are and no matter who you love and no matter what your gender identity and no matter what your color, you as a default get to see yourself represented and get to see yourself in media and whether that's whether that's mainstream media like Black Panther or whether that's um the less mainstream stuff like RPG podcasting <laughs> it's it's something that I want to be a part of because I had never seen him be so excited about seeing himself in a character and that was a really wonderful thing yeah that's a that's a really i i can't speak to that that version of that feeling certainly as a white woman but seeing uh, seeing something that that you are on that sort of platform is like a really powerful feeling <laughs> and it's something that i think that i certainly have taken for granted in my past and the the closest thing i can come to is that i never thought that i could gm until i started hearing women gm and i was like oh wait a second i can <laughs> And you even look at some of the mainstream RPG stuff like Critical Role and The Adventure Zone, it's white men. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's not good. And it doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable, but it's not me. <laughs> you mentioned Critical Role. Uh, the thing that a little thing that irks me about their uh, their new show that they're doing is the intro is extremely... 80s kids nostalgia playing D&D together and it's like stranger things in in that sort of way of of just white kids in the 80s playing D&D together yeah that is not the face of role-playing games D&D is not the face of role-playing games anymore no no it's it's not and that's that's actually a really great point I got what they were trying to do that stranger things kind of nostalgia and it was funny and it's a good gag Mm -hmm. but it's not representative of of what is really the community anymore it was taylor from leviathan games and um so he said these games are gay yeah rpgs are queer culture now so many of the people who i interact with and talk to about rpgs 
identify in some way with queer culture. And it is actually, if you do look around, if you do see some of the most popular podcasts, some of the really well-loved stories that are out there, they are being created by or created with individuals who are part of that culture. You know, like you look at God's Fall is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you're right, it's it's so true. Like critical role, that white 80s feeling is not representative of what is truly the RPG culture. Yeah, certainly there are other par- other places, other spaces where that is the culture. <laughs> Not to throw Pathfinder under the bus, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Pathfinder Society was kind of the worst experience I've ever had with a role-playing game. <laughs> I'm really sorry. That's not okay. It's like nothing compared to some of the other things I've read online, but like there is certainly some spaces where the culture is, is not so uh, friendly toward queer people. And that sucks, but it is still out there. And those people think that they're the mainstream still. There's this narrative that people who play D&D are marginalized nerds still. Yeah. When, like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know if you've seen the numbers on on D&D recently. That thing's uh, pretty popular, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that stereotype of the like marginalized basement dwelling, overweight, mouth breathing white boy in his mom's basement is really damaging to so many groups. It really and is. So many people. It's not a healthy vibe to put out there. Yeah. And I think we're seeing this in other communities as well. Seeing that a lot of places actually in the world currently of yearning for a past that never existed and that what what's in that intro is not what was as somebody who was not alive during the 80s i'm assuming that is not actually quite how those communities looked at the time no but there's this inability to self-reflect and like look toward the future rather than linger in what it used to be and role-playing games are transcendent narratives that are not constrained by hardware like a video game or or like paper like a like a novel or like constrained to one mind like a like an author they are only limited by the people involved with them and they are sort of the perfect evolution of the old telling stories around a campfire that humanity has been doing for thousands of years and it can continue to evolve into a whole new it can open up new ways of thinking about ourselves and the world around us and i it's really damaging to in my opinion to try to close that off and oh it's just a game because narrative is such an integral part of human experience and expression is such an integral part of human experience that I don't think that it's, I mean, part of it is like 
art being reduced to commodity under capitalism, but we don't have to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, but like, I think that it just that this art form can is more than we know it is now and will continue to grow into new things as time goes on. I hope. I think you're right. I think we do a disservice to to ourselves and and to game culture in general by focusing on the past and by I guess whitewashing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whitewashing what was what was once. I I get that in in the 80s D&D was something that kids felt they couldn't tell their parents about because these Christian groups marginalized them by saying that they were devil worshippers, you know, <laughs> by playing Dungeons and Dragons. But it's doing a disservice to the community by saying that, oh, let's throw back to this perfect time because there was no perfect time. Yeah. What you're really saying by doing this throwback is like, oh, do you want RPGs to go back to being sexist and racist and <laughs> and homophobic and, you know, not welcoming to all of these groups? Because that's what they were, you know? Like, I, I mean, Gary Gygax said that RPGs were not for women. He said D&D is not for women. And let's not go back to that, please. <laughs> yeah, and like... When you look at some of the stuff and how recently it was still part of common RPG culture, like, I'm pretty sure Pathfinder has the, like, cursed belt of gender switching or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they still ha- I mean, that came from D&D, but... Yeah, but what I mean is, like, it's that's still around. <laughs> <laughs> and it and, should like, be. Fourth edition D&D was not that long ago, and I'm pretty sure they used the Oriental Adventures branding from classic D&D <laughs> for some of their, like, supplements and stuff. Not books, I think it was, like, digital supplements. But, yeah. Like, that's that stuff endured well into, like, the mid to late 2000s. Yeah. These ideas still permeate, and it's it feels like this upward battle to, like, to strip that away. And if you want to be inclusive and you want people to feel like anybody can play and anybody is welcome at a table, it starts with the game itself. (laughs) It's certainly going to limit the kinds of games people choose to play when you read a book and you see that it's not for you simply because of the language used. If your introduction to D&D is Critical Role... And not to shit on Critical Role. Like, I, re- I love Critical Role. I yeah. mean, I didn't watch the first season. I'm only watching the second season. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. And, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Yes. Uh, I think same. it's funny. I think it's, like, they they are a well, well put together group of individuals. I'm going to call it now. My, my personal headcanon for this Critical Role season so far is that Caleb is trans, and I'm just going to hold on to that idea until I die. <laughs> I like that. Doesn't he always hide his face? He specifically never washes his face when he... Yeah. When he, the one time he showered, and he's he's a transmutation specialist, so... Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. <laughs> Welcome to Critical Role Fancast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't mean to shit on Critical Role, because I, I enjoy it, and I'm, I'm having fun watching it especially as a as a new 
as a new fan to Critical Role. But but it's a great example of here is here's something mainstream. And if that is your introduction to, to Dungeons and Dragons, and I mean, you might look at that and say, oh, that's not for me because of the way that they portray the introduction because of the cast itself. I mean, they can't help being, I mean, you can't help being white, but, <laughs> but um, the lack of diversity might be enough to have you look at that and say, oh, that's not for me. But then you have other podcasts like Friends at the Table and yes. Austin Walker, where you can say, you can see this and you're like, holy crow, look at the variety of games they're playing. Like they play everything under the sun and they aren't, they aren't the default. Most people on that podcast are queer, I think. <laughs> I, not to make any presumptions, I'm just thinking back to things that I've heard I've, and like what they've said about themselves. I'm pretty sure most of the people on that podcast are queer, and most of the characters on that show are queer. Yeah, and that should be the default. <laughs> the default shouldn't be white, straight, cis, man. Mm-hmm. Because that has been the default in our world for too long. And it's been yeah. the default in media for too long. And I hope that we can get to a point where podcasts and media like Austin Walker's Friends at the Table is the default, where that's not strange or that's not exciting. I mean, it's exciting, but where it doesn't excite you in a way where you're like, oh, finally. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's like the difference between excitement and novelty. Right. A thing that I see a lot is is this assumption that the ideal is that no one cares about identity uh. and that we're all <laughs> sort of um, human. It's the human race. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's just as limiting as saying that only one group of humans is is really human. We are diverse entities. We are ridiculously complex and multifaceted as individuals. Plus, then you add the fact that there are like 8 billion of us. And that variety is beautiful. And that should that, those differences should be celebrated and not uh just ignored into oh we don't we don't care if you're gay or we don't care if you're not white like right we don't care is such a poor phrase to use we don't care that you're we don't care that you're not white we don't care that you're not straight we don't care that you're not binary that's such a bad thing because we do care or we should care mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we should say like and not care in a negative way we should care like we should love these differences and we should celebrate these differences and we should highlight these differences because that's what makes us and that's what makes games so captivating is when you have all these different experiences and backgrounds that come together to tell a story that is the sum of its parts you know like it's it's greater than the sum you know it's it's here is here's a beautiful story that was created by all these people who have all these different backgrounds and all these all these different experiences. Yeah, it's like if you're going to make a bouquet or a flower arrangement, you're not going to pick all flowers of the same color, and you're also not going to pick a bunch of different flowers and then make them the same color. 
Right. They want you want there to be that vibrance and that like variety to break up the image, and it's that's what makes it beautiful is that you've taken disparate parts and and put them together into something new that is, as you said, greater than the sum of its parts. Actually, flowers is a great example because <laughs> I like flowers. <laughs> I love flowers. Um, but that's a great example because even with a bouquet of roses, say, you're like, I'm going to get a bouquet of roses for this individual whom I love. Like floral arrangers are still going to arrange that bouquet of flowers with baby's breath mm-hmm. or with some other kind of leafy entity that gives it something more. Yeah, it's not <laughs> just know? like a wad of red. Yeah, you're you're never just like, here's a bunch of flowers without an accent or without like here's the same not just the same color but here's the same flower times 20 put together without anything additional yeah that's boring and in in terms of human that's not who we are we we are so different in the same way that i can i can empathize with experiences that other women have that are sexist but i will never know what it's like to experience a sexist encounter as a trans woman or as a black woman or as an Asian woman. I don't know what that's like. And I can never know what that's like. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's different because we're different. When it comes to axes of marginalization, it's never just one. There's always that intersection. I mean, it's why things like like feminism, it's not exclusive to just being a woman. Right. Because there are all these different layers we need to take into account and we can't do if we silo ourselves in this one viewpoint. Mm -hmm. We can't silo ourselves, but we also can't be a giant melting pot where it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think the, I think that sort of to bring it back to language, that sort of positive language is what is, is what we need. Not the, the negative. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But that affirming language can be really powerful. Exactly. So we've covered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> to to get a little bit back onto RPGs. Oh, yeah, RPGs, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, not, that's what we're talking not about. Not the nature right? of humanity? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, everything is interconnected. <laughs> but you also have other podcasts that are not rpg actual plays tell me about them yeah i do um currently i have two podcasts ongoing and one that's about to start here in the next few weeks there's hollow sweethearts which is a star trek discovery podcast that i do with my partner aster we have two more episodes of the show to talk about and the show's been over for a week or two now (laughs) Uh, things have been busy but uh, we're going to close that off and keep talking about that. That show is part Star Trek Discovery recap, part listen to Aster and Nora flirt for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Cute. Um, and that podcast, uh, the sequel sort of to that podcast is Babe City, which is Aster and I doing another rewatch podcast, but it's Steven Universe. Oh, my God. <laughs> So hopefully we can start that here in a little bit and get that rolling. So that sounds really great. A Steven Universe uh, show and Babe City is like a perfect name for it. I love that. Because we call each other Babe so much. (laughs) So it just... That's fantastic. 
Yeah. So tell me about your other podcast. So you have um, this other podcast called White Lotus Radio. White Lotus Radio is a Legend of Korra rewatch podcast that I do with a good friend of mine, Allie Coffey. Um, we're both trans women and we watched Legend of Korra when it came out uh, back before we knew we were trans. And I didn't like it and she did. And now, years later, we are coming back to it with vastly different, you know, ideologies and perspectives and just looking at it to see if our opinions have changed and if they haven't, if we have like a stronger sense of what that opinion is or if we can better form that opinion. We are currently just about a third of the way through the first season. So we've just only just started, but it's been really fun so far. Awesome. You're, I mean, that's one on my list of most is this <laughs> radio because I love, loved Avatar The Last Airbender. And there are aspects of The Legend of Korra that I adored. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of it that I did not adore. So I, I'm really excited to listen to your podcast and, and see where where you stand <laughs> well, your <laughs> on hint, some of it. Your hint is that um, the two hosts of this podcast are uh, uh, leftists and anarchists and <laughs> queer. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to it. It sounds right up my alley. <laughs> and we talked about um, Wizard's Branch already. So I guess I, I will link in the show notes to um, where people can find Wizards Branch. Cool. Um, I also I have I have a Twitter and a Patreon. If we want to hit those, yeah, as well. we do. <laughs> Tell me about them. <laughs> uh, my Twitter is where jokes go to die. <laughs> I am at neither Nora on Twitter, and you can follow me. It works. You just click the button. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just posted there to, in the last 48 hours. I have tweeted two RPGs that I wrote. Awesome. <laughs> one, of, one of which was a um, mini game for pro bending from Legend of Korra. And one of them was a game about uh, popcorn and movies. So you can get all that good content over there on Twitter.com. And I also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Nora Blake. And if you go there, you can give me money. <laughs> <laughs> and support another creator. It's true. And you'll get to see all of my uh, uh, fancy PDFs I make of my RPGs. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nora. This was a really awesome conversation. Thanks for having me on. Looking for something else to listen to while you're waiting for the next episode of I Am Here? Look no further than White Lotus Radio, Hollow Sweethearts, or Lost Library, all of which feature Nora Blake. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly 
for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG Casts and for I Am Here. Visit the website at IamHerePodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and so much more. You can find more about RPG Casts by going to RPGCasts.com and follow on Twitter at, at RPG underscore casts. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.